0: I can close my eyes and remember when I saw that movie for the first time. I was nine years old. It is so much fun to run with other people. It's so much easier to run with a bunch of people around us. That was, of course, the great intro scene from that incredible movie where people who were running in a race are running together. I love the fact that there are very different people. One guy's a preacher. The other guy's an accountant. The other person's a person of royalty, but they're all running this race together. One funny piece to that, that dog that you saw running after, the, the, that wasn't meant to be. Apparently, uh, that, was not, uh, that was not planned and they had to pull the dog off the runners afterwards. One of the trainers came in. <laughs> if you're here for the first time, we welcome you. And we're going to talk today about the importance of running the race with other people. We're in the second week of our gold series, which we're doing concurrent with the, the Olympics. And so we're going to be looking at how God wants us to get the gold. We saw last week that actually the Olympics were being run when Jesus was alive. Uh, The Olympics started in 776 BC. So when Jesus was giving his famous sermon on the mount, uh, blessed are the meek, there were people running in an Olympic games. We're going to look at that. Last week we saw how God wants us to get the gold. And the gold for us is the experience of Jesus. It is actually firsthand feeling and knowing and thinking Jesus. That's the gold. And to get that, we have to forget about what has come behind, to be in the present, to be in the now, and also to reach for the future, to reach for the gold that God wants us to get. Also, last week we saw that not everyone gets the gold. It would be great to be able to stand up here and say everyone gets the gold, not everyone does. But everyone can, and God wants you to do that today. By the way, has anyone been watching the Olympics this last week? Anyone watching? Wow, a few of you. Anybody watching the uh, curling event? Anyone watching that? I'm, like, scratching my head. I do not understand this word, especially when these guys came out in these pants. Did you see these Norwegians (laughs) coming out? And uh, so what we'd want to do, and also the the Simpsons had a little segment on this thing, and so we just want to, (laughs) like... We want to help you today, because I know there's going to be a lot more curling, you know, on TV, and we want you to appreciate it. So let's get the, the rules of this sport right. The sport is basically shuffleboard on ice, apparently. The object is to slide a granite stone to a target called a house, and it gets as close to a bullseye, that's the button, as possible. Like bowling match, it consists of 10 ends or fr- frames. Each team consists of a skip. Are you getting this? There is going to be a curling quiz after this service today. <laughs> Actually, we are starting a new event after what's called Highlands Curling, so sign up on that (laughs) table there. Let's talk about the gold that we're going to get together. I don't know if uh, you watch Olympics as much as I do, but a couple years ago, I don't know if you remember, there was a great swimmer by the name of Jenny Thompson. She won 10 medals that year. She won several uh, silvers, silvers, several bronzes, and I think a gold as well. She won 10. That's like an Olympic-like record afterwards, an interviewer came up to her and said, Jenny, we think it is amazing that you won 10 medals, but we're wondering whether you're a great swimmer or not. She kind of scratched her head and said, you know, I I don't know if I'm a great swimmer or not. I did win 10 medals. Well, they said, the reason that I'm not sure if you're a great swimmer is you won eight of these medals as a team. And so a great swimmer, said this interviewer, would actually only win that by themselves. So 10 medals by themselves. If you're on a team, said this person, it's not as much about you. And the medal doesn't really matter as much. If Jenny Thompson is listening to this podcast today, and she never knows, she might be, I want to say to you, Jenny, that you're a winner. And that winning is important. But winning with others is the way we do it. It's the way we do it in life and it's the way we do it in faith. What I want to talk today about is how we are in a race with not just people in this church, not just people at different churches around Paso Robles, Atascadero, San Luis Obispo, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, Copenhagen, St. Petersburg. It isn't just all Christians, that we are actually in this cloud of witnesses. Paul wants you to imagine that you're in the movie Back to the Future. You remember that movie? Michael J. Fox goes back to the future. You will go back to the future as you think about the people in your race today. Let's take a look at our text. We're looking at Hebrews 11 and 12, which was featured in our video this morning. And Paul wants to begin by telling us who is in the race with us. All right. Now rather than list out these people as names, we want to just show you pictures. So think about your race, your life, and now think about the people who are in the race with you. Paul begins like this. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is who in the race is in the race. By faith, Abel, Abel, remember Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's progeny, offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Abel's in your race verse 5 by faith enoch enoch ran the race he got a gold he was taken from this life so he did not experience death you may not know that enoch is running with you by faith noah noah is in your race when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear built an ark to save his family by faith abraham the great person of faith abraham when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance obeyed and he went abraham is running your race with you and sarah his wife and isaac and jacob And let's just throw in Jacob and also let's throw in the Joseph and his sons. Remember that Joseph of coat of many colors, he's in your race and those, uh, the sons of Joseph. And as long as we're at it, let's put Moses in your race. Remember Moses and his parents, they put him in a basket in the water and and then uh, Moses was raised to save. Let's throw in a million Israelites as well who are in that race. They are running with you. I don't know what the count is. I think it's up to a million, 200 at this point. And as long as we're at it, let's throw in Rahab, says the author of Hebrews. Rahab was a prostitute. She's running in this race, but she had faith. And as long as we're at it, let's throw in Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. Let's throw in all 20, 25 of the prophets. And we throw in the disciples. And as long as we're at it, let's throw in your next door neighbor. Let's throw in a couple of people from Mozambique who were helping in the water projects. Let's throw in a couple of those people you're going to run into this afternoon. They're running in this race with you. And so Paul then continues in verse 12. He's talking about this cloud of witnesses. He says, therefore, since you are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, a cloud of runners, let us throw off everything that hinders. A little piece of history here. In those days, in the Greek Olympics, they believed that anything that was on you in your life would slow you down in the race. And so they ran naked from that. And apparently we don't keep doing that in our Olympic games. I don't know why. A little uh, personal story, my first year of ministry in Ann Arbor, Michigan, I was preaching this very text, and they had a race in the University of Michigan called the Naked Run, and it involved freshmen who were his first day of class, and they would run naked through the campus. So I called my sermon the Naked Run, I thought it would be a great, problem was uh, it wasn't a very popular event with the teachers, the professors, with the administrators and the parents, they were listening to my sermon. So just don't preach a sermon called the Naked Run. But Paul doesn't want us to run without clothes. This is what he wants us to run without. He wants us to run without sin. Without sin that entangles. I learned something about sin this last week. The Greek word for sin is hamartia. Would you say that with me? Hamartia. Hamartia, I used to think, was simply the things we did. You know, the little things we do to others. Let's say the sin of your life is maybe to throw a Coke can in your neighbor's yard. Let's just say that. The sin of hamartia is not just the throwing of the Coke can, it's the result from your neighbor who is upset with you, and it's the cause of that sin. So it isn't just one thing that entangles you with that throwing the Coke can, it's three things. Now, I don't know about you, but I do like not just one bad thing a day or sinful thing, I tend to do 12 or 15, and so this quickly adds up, 12 plus 12 plus 12, those are things that entangle us in our lives. Paul is saying, throw off those things as Abraham and Sarah and the cloud of witnesses is around us in this race. Throw off these things, he says. And he says, let us run with perseverance the mark, the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes upon Jesus. Jesus is at the very front of this race. He's leading the pack. He's the Sebastian Coe of runners. He's running this race. He's the author and the perfecter of faith who for joy set before him the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our text today is this. It is that we can't run by ourselves. We need other people to run this with us. You can't get the gold by yourself. And the way you do that is you throw off the things that entangle you, the sins of your life, and you fix your eyes upon Jesus. And that's our text. Uh, I am so not a runner, as you well know. But my wife is and has always been in our first couple of years of marriage, she would run like six to ten miles like every day. And I used to think it was just a runaway from me, but <laughs> she actually likes running. And now she's running like two to three miles a day, and she just, she just loves running. So she tried her first marathon. Now, has anyone here ever run a, a full marathon? Or, it's obviously a very grueling sport. The thing for stars, is, though, she had three things entangling her, none of which were sins, but they were entangling her in that race. The first was that this was the Chicago Marathon, except it wasn't. See, the Chicago Marathon is in October, when it's like crimson out, beautiful colors, Lake Michigan, people have ball caps on, nice turtleneck sweaters. It's just a wonderful time to be outside. The Lakeshore Marathon that she was in was in February. And uh, it's not like here in Paso. So the first thing that entangled Star was that she was wearing the wrong clothes. She was dressed in shorts, and everyone else was dressed like Nanook of the North. And <laughs> they had uh, parkas and harpoons and stuff. And The second thing about her entangling her in a race was her diet. Now, you know, if you're a runner, you need to eat carbs the night before, and so we got a big plate of carbs, big plate of uh, pasta, but start was so nervous, she couldn't actually eat. It was her first marathon, so she was running with an empty stomach. Not a good thing to do. But the worst thing that held her back were other people. You see, the Lakeshore Marathon wasn't exactly the Chicago. The Chicago, they've got like policemen lining the way. It's very well organized. But the Lakeshore Marathon, it's like totally random, like clowns and like hot dog vendors are driving in between. And About mile 17, Star hits the wall, the proverbial wall, and also the proverbial porta potty stop. And uh, all runners have to do this. It's like a three to four hour. So usually you just jot in and you jot out and you finish the race. Star got in line for the porta potty She waited five minutes with other runners and 10 minutes and 15 minutes. Finally, somebody opens the door of the porta potty and a homeless guy gets out who was not running the race. Are you waiting for me? Sorry about that. And who's next? Said this guy. The key to this story, God doesn't want a porta a potty slowing you down in your life. <laughs> God has a plan for you to run the race. And it's as important that you run it with other people. You can't run it by yourself. And you have to have people in your race that are going to support you in your reach for the gold. That's the first thing I want to think about today. And that is that faith is a team sport. It's a team sport. Would you say that with me? Faith is a team sport. It's not an individual event. Heard about a group of farmers from San Miguel who were in a crew race, you know crew, and they were racing a bunch of executives from New York City. Why they were doing that, I don't know. But they were in a crew race, and and, uh, the guys from Creston just blew the New York City executives out of the water. And uh, so the executives did like a, you know, corporate management study to figure out why they lost this race. Well, they found out after a million dollars that (laughs) seven of the people in the boat from New York were steering the boat, and one person was rowing the boat, and and the San Miguel farmers had seven people who were actually rowing one person's string. So they did another study, and they threw another million dollars into it, and the corporate executives came back the next year with the new plan. They would next year have three regional managers in the boat, three local managers, one guy who did a personnel review, and one person who was rowing. And the Creston or the San Miguel farmers blew out the people again. That joke just worked as well in the first service as it is here. (laughs) But the point is still good that faith is a team sport. I love living in a place where I see probably 10 people from Highlands or used to go to Highlands or people that I know around the community today. I just love it. Funny thing is though, sometimes when I see someone who hasn't been to church for three or four months, uh, they try to avoid me in public. (laughs) I was at Walmart the other day and I was just doing my little shopping in aisle 16 and there was somebody who saw me who I haven't seen for about a year and literally I saw them look at me And then go to aisle number one. And uh, I knew why they were doing that. But I want to just start by saying, I really don't care if you come to Highlands Church every Sunday, or I don't go home every day and go, gosh, I haven't seen, you know, Joey Fernartner for a long time. Where where is he? I, I don't do that. But I'll tell you what I do do. If I see somebody that I haven't seen at church for a long time, I ask myself, how Are they running the race? How are they going for gold by themselves? Or listening to their phone by themselves? (laughs) Because you can't do it by yourselves. You can't. One of my favorite uh, events this last time was the Mogul Run. I don't know if you've watched the Moguls. One of the guys who won last year is a guy by the name of Dale Begg Smith. I don't know if you followed this. They're calling him the International Man of Mystery. Reason is, he's not from one country, but two, Australia and Canada. He also doesn't talk to reporters. In fact, he doesn't talk to anybody. Uh, he didn't go to, the, like, the warm-up mogul party uh, that involved coffee and donuts. He didn't talk to anybody. Well, funnily enough, he won the year before. He got a gold. Guess what he got this year? Nothing. Now, I don't know why, and, and uh, you know, he seems like a nice kid, but my theory is that you can't run the race by yourself. You can't get the gold by yourself. God wants us to know that we are here together. We are in this thing together. We are running this race with one another, number one. Number two is this. The evil one wants you to think that you are all by yourself. The evil one wants you to think that you are running all by yourself. Famous sailor several years ago from Time Magazine, an article about a guy named W. Wallace, who was a great sailor. He would sail from the Pacific through the Atlantic, through the Baltic, through all the great oceans. But he would, of course, do it by himself. Sailing is a, a private sport. And I asked him in this article, what's the worst thing about sailing? Is it the winds? Is it, you know, the rain? No, no, he said, the worst thing is the loneliness. It's so lonely out there. In fact, you have to daily wake up and say, I am not going to throw myself over the side of the boat. I'm so lonely. The article went on to say that they found Wallace's boat and they didn't find Wallace and they're still looking for Wallace and we don't know what happened to him. Being by yourself is dangerous. Kids who are by themselves are dangerous. Adults who are by themselves are, are in a vulnerable position. But that's not the focus of my message today. The focus of my message is this. The evil one wants you to think that you're alone. He wants you to think you're sailing your ship by yourself. A woman in a church that I worked at in Red Bluff, California, came into my office a long time ago. She had tears in her eyes and she said, Graham, my life's falling apart. My kids are all over the place. I don't know where my husband is. I don't have any money. I'm just lost. And I, we had a prayer together and we talked about future for her life. And she said, Please, whatever you do, don't tell anyone else about my story. And I said, Well, okay, I won't, but tell me why. She said, Well, I think that if other people found out what situation I'm in, what pains I'm having, they would think less of me. And I said, Well, I actually think they would think more of you because they're in the same boat as you, they're going through the same struggles. And after some time with her, we talked about it, and she wanted me to share this story with other people. Do you know that there are probably 20 people in this church in this church, who are going through foreclosure, who are losing the homes that they put lots of money into? They're losing them. But the evil one would want to make you think that you're all alone. Did you know that there are at least 50 people in this church who are going through very serious sicknesses? People who have gone through chemo or going through some very serious time, or they have loved ones who are in that serious place, but the evil one would want you to think that you're in this thing by yourself. There are at least 20 people in this church who are going through divorce or have been through divorce, and it's not their fault. And yet the evil one would want you to think that you're doing it by yourself. And there are probably another 50 people or 100 people that I know who have had to make major cuts in their personal lives because unemployment and job situations have made them do that. And the evil one would want you to think that you're all alone. But you are not. There is a cloud of witnesses around you. Abraham and Sarah and Highlands Church and Enoch and Abel. And they're running this race with you. I've been trying to think about the time... That Jesus was the most vulnerable in his ministry. I've been thinking about Easter and only 39, 38 days, 37 days till Easter. So I'm trying to think about what, what was the most time, vulnerable time for Jesus. Was it when the Pharisees came to him and asked him really hard questions that were almost impossible to answer? Nah, that wasn't a vulnerable time for Jesus. Was it when Pilate had him beat with, by Roman guards? In the praetorium? Nah. Jesus was okay through that. Was it when Jesus was on the cross, looking down upon all that he had come to save? No. He had already won. The time when Jesus was most vulnerable was at the beginning of his ministry, when the evil one had him in the desert, one-on-one. And the evil one tried to make Jesus think that he was all by himself. He said, Jesus, if you're hungry, you could just take this rock and turn it into a loaf of bread. I can help you with that. But you're all by yourself. Well, it's only me and you. He told Jesus, let's go to the top of the temple and I'll show you the entire city. And if you throw yourself off of the building, well, we can, I can help you save yourself from hurting yourself. Well, you are the son of God. You and I are in this together. And G- took Jesus to the top of a mountain and they looked over all of creation. And he said, Jesus, you know, all of this can be yours. But it's you and I. We're the only ones in this little competition. So let's do it together, you and I. Thankfully, Jesus turned away from that. He didn't let that sin entangle him. We need to be careful about the times in our lives when we are by ourselves, when we are unhealthfully isolated, and to know that we are not alone. You are not alone in what you're going through. Last piece I want to offer today is this, that this is also a relay, as we saw In this great clip, the introductory clip. It isn't just that we're in this cloud of witnesses together and we're running this great race like chariots of fire. It's that this is our leg of the race. And this is how it began. Adam and Eve, they had a son named Abel and Cain and Abel did okay and he dropped the baton and then he handed it to Enoch and Enoch had a few problems but he handed the baton on to Noah and Noah did pretty well and he handed the baton on and he handed the baton on to Abraham and Sarah and they handed the baton on to their children and they handed the baton on to Moses and Moses did pretty well he made a few mistakes but he handed the baton on to a million Israelites and a million Israelites made some mistakes but they did okay and they handed the baton on David and onto the prophets and then they. Handed the baton onto Jesus, who took the very front of the race. And when Jesus took the front of the race, he then handed it on to 12 disciples who handed it on to Paul, who handed it on to you. And this is our leg. And I, uh, I talked to a pastor the other day who was kind of discouraged, and he said, You know, Graham, Christianity is only one generation away from death. I'm like, Great. <laughs> Have you gone water skiing lately? <laughs> but he's right. It's our leg of the race. And I don't know what keeps you awake at night, but one of the things that keeps me awake is how well we're running our leg. And this is our peace. How deep are our convictions? How how full is our love? How much are we sacrificing? How fast are we going to run? And God is leading the race. And there are people around us cheering for each of us where we are. So let us run the race that God has given us. Let's throw off the things that hinder and let's reach for the gold. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you let us be a part of this race. Thank you, Father, for for being at the front of the race. Lord, if there's anyone here today who feels alone, feels that the struggles that they're in are unique to them, help them to see that there is a cloud of witnesses around them, which encourages us and helps us know that we can keep going. God, I thank you so much for this church. Help us always to be brothers and sisters who are carrying the baton and cheering each other on. And we know that we will get the gold. In the name of Jesus, amen.